day in the life, though, for me was going on walks every morning after journaling, after meditating. I had, like, to live in the cabin in the woods takes discipline. To actually not have a full time job, too, takes discipline in its own way. Like, I became my full time job,、mm. and, and that required gentleness, resting. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Miss Amanda Chen Show podcast. We're in season five, learning how to live. And a lot of that learning is about making the active choice to live. And maybe that involves taking the risk to move your life to a brand new city you have never been before. In today's episode, I sit down with my new friend, Kelly Stefanski, who literally just packed up her life and moved to Oaxaca City without even visiting here before coming. And before she made that big jump, she spent a whole year living in a cabin in the woods. Here is her story on losing herself, to finding herself, to navigating a completely new life here living solo in Oaxaca City. Tune in to celebrate the courage it takes to actually pack up and go. Here's her story. Hi, I'm Kelly Stefanski, and I'm from upstate New York, now living in Oaxaca. My first time in Mexico was a year ago. In December, with my ex partner, and that was kind of the trip that changed my life and why I'm here now. We were together through the majority of the pandemic, so it was about one year. I moved in right at the start of the pandemic and was already struggling to feel a sense of home, and I was worried about job security and all of that. And And we were kind of building like this little life, but it was not really built on a solid foundation.、Um, and I remember feeling really like, you know, not, not complete with my job I was in. I was just feeling like there was something more I wanted. And it was really that longing that led me to this group called Ecosystems Restoration Camps. And they do projects like all over the globe. And through that organization, I found this guy, Daniel Valdivisi, and he builds these sustainable homes in San Miguel de Allende、um, that are super beautiful, like luxury, sustainable homes. And I reached out to him on LinkedIn. And like people here in Mexico are just so friendly. We ended up talking on the phone for a long time. And then he was like, okay, you, you've just got to come see this place for yourself. So we had this open invite. I pretty much planned the whole trip, figured out you know, what hotel to stay at. And、um, you know, it was my first time going to be in Mexico. My mom's traveled here before and told me nothing but amazing things. My background、um, on my mom's side is Argentinian and、um, Swiss. So we. Have a bit more of an international background and feel at home in places where I don't know, people just have different values than in the US. So I was really excited to, to visit Mexico. And of course, when we got here, everyone was very open hearted. And I felt like I could share my own family stories with people there. And,、um, and there was just this sense of like belonging that I felt. Which you know, is a theme in my life of what it, what it means to belong. 
I felt that that sense very viscerally when I was in San Miguel de Allende. Um, I felt like the people there treated me like family. And there was something about Oaxaca that just rang in my ears when I first heard about it. Everyone talked so highly of it. It kind of seemed like this magical place. And I was like, if it's more magical than San Miguel, like I've got to see this place. Um, and so I think when we got back to the States, there was this feeling of like, I, I, I want to get back to Mexico. I don't know what that's going to look like. And there was a feeling for him of really wanting to get back home. So we had a big difference there. And actually a big thing for me was I started the book, The Artist's Way, right at that time, right when we got back from Mexico. And it was really where I started finding my own voice and validating my own voice. And that led me to being brave enough to like apply to artist residencies. And one was in Oaxaca. And actually when I applied to the first time, I didn't get in. And I just kept writing and exploring my voice and exploring my my inner artist and um, that gave me the courage to leave that relationship but it wasn't the time to come to Mexico I realized so that's yeah that goes into a whole nother story <laughs> so did you go to Oaxaca yet or is this the first this time is my first time in Oaxaca yeah wow so you were working for a year to get your residency to come to Oaxaca I've been doing inner healing work to even have the courage to come to Oaxaca and, and think that I could build a life here. So this is, this is really fresh and new for me. And yeah, this is the beginning of, of a journey of courage and finding place in oneself that doesn't really matter where you are. But I feel in maybe some sense that this place brought me to it because I'm not really one to go and claim a spot. Um, so yeah, I feel called oh. here. Yeah. So in that journey over the year, you said you were kind of living pretty much in a cabin in the woods at this time to get yourself to prepare yourself for this new beginning. So what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so that when I left my ex-partner, I actually didn't know where I was going to live. When we broke up, I was looking at buying a house or apartments in Asheville and there was this great big housing crisis and you know kind of perfectly you know these things make sense when you look back it's like oh of course I couldn't find a house in Asheville at that time and I went through like two realtors I felt like I was just like everything was just not working and I finally accepted it I was trusting my gut every new place I visited to possibly rent and I got the feeling of just a no in my stomach and I started listening to that I was like what's going on I'm gonna end up homeless <laughs> like this guy doesn't want me living at his place I don't want to live at his place this is like the worst kind of situation to be in and actually me moving to the cabin actually took a friend who had helped me move from Raleigh to Asheville he happened to be passing through Asheville the same weekend my ex was visiting his parents on the coast. And it was that weekend that I got the courage to realize, okay, I've, I've just got to get out of here. And my friend had helped me move once before. And when he first got there, I didn't put the pieces together of like, why is Ryan really here? You know, it was like, it took uh, two days. And on the second day, I realized, Ryan, like, this is where asking people for help is 
the most important lesson I learned on this journey was he was there, he was available to help me. And once I gave that okay of like, please help me get out of here, it was like go time. He like held my hand, wrote out a list for me. We figured out all the things I needed to do, close out, pack up, went to Lowe's, bought the boxes, did the whole thing. Within 24 hours, we packed up my whole life from living in that house. Like I decorated the whole house pretty much. I got everything moved into a storage unit. And Friday, I went to look at one more house to possibly buy. And it, it was like a commune. <laughs> it was crazy. It would have needed a lot of work, a lot of love. And I was like, you know, maybe in another life, but I'm, I'm getting in my car. And actually, I, was, I had my dog that I got from my friends when I was with him with me. So me and her got in my car and moved to New York that day, that Friday. Wow. So all my belongings in a storage unit. And we... Me and her, she sat like right by my side the whole ride, like looking at me. <laughs> this is why I know dogs are in my life to support me through through transitions. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I unfortunately wasn't able to keep her. When I got to New York, there was a big fight with my ex and, and my dad too was hesitant about keeping a dog and it was the right move to let it go but in this move I had to let go of my pet my home my city all my belongings in a storage unit and then like two short months later I lost my job which I could feel was coming so it was a great big opening and it landed me at my dad's cabin in upstate New York and in that state, you're like wide open. There's a sense of like reaching self-actualization without the foundation, you know? And it's really, it's a powerful feeling, but you also really are just floating and you have to be really careful because a lot of people just come into your space thinking that it's theirs. And if you don't create the boundary, that was like a big part of my lessons in the last year was building that boundary of actually, I want this space. This is my space. What am I cultivating in this space? As opposed to, you know, most women end up giving away their space of like, what more can I take on? Or who can I help? Because it gives us a sense of worth. So this past year was about my boundary around my own self-worth and not being determined by, by everything else. I love that you brought that up because it talks about how you used to decorate the entire house. You had this dog that you took care of. You had this partner that you probably took care of too, right? Like yeah. everything was a, a role for you. Yeah. So what was that breakdown point for you when you are now in this cabin in the woods? You know, what was every day like yeah. for you, a day in the life like for you? Great question. I had a lot of support on this journey from both plant medicines to coaches because in the beginning, I was kind of looking for something to grab me or to tell me who I was next, you know, like, okay, Kelly, this is your new identity now, you know, and that came in different forms. I, I actually, last the summer, I was in the cabin in the woods. I, I was working with someone as a private chef, so some of my gigs were, were catering and some of my gigs were uh, wedding photography. I'm a very multidisciplinary artist, but I recognize 
that when you can play many roles, people try to get as much as they can out of you too, to just be everything that they need without paying all the different roles. So a day in the life though for me was going on walks every morning, after journaling, after meditating. I had like to live in the cabin in the woods takes discipline. To actually not have a full-time job too takes discipline in its own way. Like I became my full-time job and mm -hmm. and that required gentleness, resting for daily walks to see what new plants were growing. That was also how I tracked my own my own growth too was in the different flowers blooming recognizing no flower was blooming the entire time mm. that we each have our moments and like each each week got to be its own christmas in its own way there was a new mushroom growing or different flower i got really into to foraging so i was eating a lot of the things i was finding and you weren't eating the same thing every day that was another new way of looking at life that we don't see you know we order the same things on menus of of places we go to where or we go to the grocery store and we can find the same food that we want so to to go out in the woods and and be open to the surprise of like, what is here? You know, what what is available for, for me at this moment? And a lesson I learned too was that often what we need is growing right outside our door. And I had that reminder this week, actually, in Mexico. I had, I had an awful stomach bug and I asked around for just some advice on, okay, what can I take for this? And someone told me guava leaves, make a guava leaf tea. And I was like, where am I going to find guava leaves? I went to the market. They didn't have any. But the guy said, oh, they're, they're growing around here. So I asked the guy of my Airbnb where I'm staying at currently. And he said it was right outside my room. Right outside my room was my medicine. And when I first moved to the cabin in the woods, I got into flower essence and the first bloom of the spring in the Northeast in my area was a colt's foot. And those flowers, their energetics are really good for transitions. And of course they are because they grow at the beginning of a transition. So yeah, I'm always enamored by, by what we can find outside that's, that's right there for us. And the forest too is really a metaphor in many ways. Like I went into the depths of the woods kind of like these fairy tales where the little girl goes off and meets meets the witch in the woods and gets all the lessons that she needs to make it through life and I feel like the trees were were that for me that they they taught me everything I need to know to be where I'm at now that where I'm at now takes a lot of courage and strength to be here to to know that I belong just on this planet where my feet are touching the ground. Yeah, that's huge. And I think it's really interesting. I also went through that whole year of losing myself, right? You have to break yourself down to be able to renew yourself and start again. So walk me through your experience of entering Oaxaca now. What did you do in Oaxaca? How long have you stayed now? And how has everything kind of transpired since? Yeah, so... Coming here, I really set the intention to of like, how can I gift myself to this place, to this land that I felt called to, and and it came to me in different forms. 
Like with my first week here, it was through an artist residency. So I already got to meet some incredible artists here who are doing more than just making art. They're creating a movement. It felt really resonant to the movement. I was living in my own way in the cabin in the woods of like, what, what are my intentions? What are my values? How am I connecting with the land? And more importantly, how am I giving myself to the land? And so exploring movement through the body in relationship with how a tree moves. So I got to be part of some of these practices and also share my own somatic practices of moving through, you know, the, the thinking mind body, the feeling mind body that's connected to others and the global body that we're all on this great giant ecosystem of life and movement. So we have three different kind of bodies we move through. And so getting to explore that in my woods and here in community is just this constant reminder that when things get too much, I do have just my own body I can be in. And when I want to expand, I can. And it felt like that sense was really felt here, this sense of community, this sense of more than just you in one body, but a collective body. And this idea too, I, I saw immediately as we were driving to one of the artists' workshops, I saw people maintaining some trees in the median. And it just seemed like random people. And, you know, maybe this is my own projection onto this, but what it seemed like was people from the community helping to clean something, to maintain something in this collective sense of knowing like, hey, if we're all here to help this thing when one of us needs help, we'll get the help from the community. It's kind of like a giving into something to return, which is core to being human. And I feel like we've we've lost it in the transactional way that we we look at things or we feel like a burden if we ask for help. That's why I keep coming back to this ability to ask for help is huge. And if we feel ashamed of doing so, we're we're doing a disservice to ourselves and others because others want to help. So there's been a collective sense sense here of people wanting to help. Like as soon as I got my dog, a friend stepped in and started helping me. And I will say like my first few weeks here were super magical and effortless. And I was like, wow, everything is just really flowing here. What an easy transition, I kept saying. And it was because I felt this real visceral sense of being at home in my body. And then in the last weekend, I got a puppy um, who, you know, I think in many ways, like she, she came to me, actually. And the story goes, I was shopping with my friend. And the woman of the shop had this beautiful dog following her around. And I felt really connected to the dog, but I was like, oh, what a wonderful dog you have. It follows you around everywhere. And she was like, oh no, I can't, I can't keep it. I have dogs and a daughter. And, and I, I don't know. I just like looked at her and I said, oh, like we should name her Seba after the tree. And it's a tree I connected with really deeply while I've been here. And she looked at me and said, that's her name already. So in that moment, I knew that, okay, this is my dog. This is why we're really here today. Like the shopping's <laughs> cool and all. And what's crazy is, you know, a year ago, I had my dog taken away from me. And one of the emails I got from my ex was, you don't have a stable home. <laughs> and here I am still trying to figure out 
where physically home is, but I have a stable home within myself. And I would never tell someone who is homeless that they aren't worthy of a dog. I wouldn't, would never tell anybody that. So to now be where I'm at, and I knew a dog would come into my life. I brought that first dog, River, into my life. So I I didn't have that fear of a, of lack of abundance there. It was like, okay, well, I manifested her, so another dog's going to come in, and I didn't know it'd be this soon. And this is where reality is really hitting, actually. It's like, I now have a dog here. I um, am about to see see my new place. A friend has offered me their, their grandfather's ranch. And all of this is really new. And with the transition and the change comes a lot of fear that's coming up because it's totally stepping into the unknown. Like, had I known I would have lost so much when I left my ex a year ago, I don't know if I could have done it. That's a really big thing to go through. But to know what came out of it, of course I would have done it. But you can't know. And so I'm allowing myself to not know, which is scary, <laughs> of course. And that's that's where I'm at. It's in this place of not knowing all of the steps, but in this place of really feeling firm in my feet where they are on the ground. Yeah. And I think we've been taught by Western society to have actual things to keep yourself rooted in the ground. When you realize, actually, I can carry all of those feelings of being secure so what would you say to someone or maybe to yourself a year ago that is going to embark on this journey and start this solo travel excursion adventure by herself? And, you know, what are some things to look out for? What are some things to just make sure that you have secure in your, in your heart, in how you feel and, and how you carry yourself mm-hmm. that you'd like to just offer to yourself? Yeah, beautiful question. You know, for me, it's being really honest with what you're feeling. And holding that, the, one of the first songs, and it gives me chills now, um, that I listened to on my journey when I first got to the cabin in the woods was a song called Hold Your Own by Kate Tempest. And it it really talks about, it's not about this brand of happiness that we're sold. It's about holding your own in anything that comes up. And we have these inner dogs that fight but when when we make friends with them, they actually start bringing us what we need. And so something I felt this past weekend when I was super sick in bed and was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> One of those moments, I was like, what a pleasure it is for me to hold this feeling for myself. What a great honor that I get to carry this for me, that it's really about becoming bigger than just that one feeling. And so the the part that allows me to become bigger is by feeling into the support that's already there, even if it's just the bed that's under you or the ground beneath your feet. If you have a place where you can't fall off from, that's support. And just that little bit of support can allow you to be big enough to hold whatever's coming with the great honor of whatever's coming is actually there because it knows you're a freaking alchemist, that you can heal it. So we each have our own inner healer. So it's oftentimes on this healing journey, people think they're like retracting or going back or regressing. 
but it's actually like, wow, no, you are healing so much that this feeling now feels comfortable to show itself to you and that you can hold this. And when we allow the feelings to move through us, emotions have 90 second intervals, according to science. And a lot of us would argue like, no way, like <laughs> I hold on to them for a long time. And it's because we're the ones that aren't letting them move. And it's where we begin building stories about them instead of letting them tell us how they feel from their point of view. Because oftentimes these parts are trying to protect us. Like I know for me, there's so many parts of me that are so caring and kind right now that want me to be super safe and secure and comfortable. And I have to keep reminding them, yeah, I am. We're really supported here. And I could easily go back home if I needed to. Like that's where the courage comes in is is knowing that we're always supported. Yeah, I love that. And I love that definition of pain is more of a positive concept of you mm-hmm. actually being able to hold that pain instead of like, oh, this is happening to you. Just endure it and let it flow, um, which is basically what you're saying. But now it's a bit more of a personal connection and a relationship to this pain of saying like, you know what, it's here for you and it's here to also help you through that. And it made me really think a lot about my my healing over the year with men and how I thought it was great to stay celibate, to not be in relationships with men, to keep myself at a distance because that was my inner self wanting to protect me in this way. Mm-hmm. And then now realizing I can enter these same situations again and I know better now. And I think one big thing is to recognize that you are not who you were. Mm -hmm. So how has being in a cabin in the woods changed your relationship? I know you had a a huge change in your relationship with your father and your relationship with men and the work that you do with men now. Mm, Yeah, great question. You know, the transformation starts with us. Mm -hmm. And I think women have so much power and potential to be a source of healing with men, for men, for ourselves, because everything's a relationship. That was what I asked the woods, you know, what is a relationship? And, you know, it really taught me that we, we are part of relationship. Nothing exists without it. So my, my last relationship, you know, could be kind of summarized. I hate labeling, but it can be helpful as more of a narcissistic relationship dynamic. And, for me to recognize what that really meant was like, no one's a narcissist by themselves. That's not possible. You know, it's, it's a dynamic. And so what role was I playing? Not in the sense of putting the responsibility all on me, but in a sense of taking radical responsibility to own the part I played and a part I can build a new relationship around. Oh, I'm not willing to allow that kind of treatment or you know this is how you treat me we show others how to treat us by how we hold ourselves and I think that's really helped change my relationship with men where before I was coming from a place of wanting their validation of wanting their support so my parents split when I was two And I went with my mom to a whole nother state and I know my dad loves me. Like I know, I knew my whole childhood he loved me, 
but it was a long distance love and it was one that always broke my heart every time we had to say goodbye. So there was that wounding of that abandonment that's there. And so I think I probably sought that out in guys of this, oh, they'll always leave me kind of attitude or, you know, I don't, I don't deserve something better. And so I'd settle for someone who was just not fully in it for me. You know, I played this role of needing to be useful, needing to be needed. And I think so many of us do that because it creates a sense of safety, right? If they need me, they won't leave me. Or if I'm useful, why would they leave me, you know? And it's actually getting to a a point now where I feel just like worthy of love and, and growth and where I'm not looking at a relationship now as like, how can I get them to like me? Or it's not about manipulation anymore. It's actually about me being so true to myself and all the feelings that come up and being able to be vulnerable. In a way, I like the definition of boundaries as more of like a doorway. It's not a closed door. It's not a a barbed wire fence. It's actually a doorway that says, you know, here's what's in this door and here's what's not inside this, this entryway. And so it's being able to allow and choosing what we allow to enter and by defining ourselves and not letting others define us or not needing to be defined in a way that fits someone else. I have a friend who has a great metaphor about her house that she was trying to get people to rent it and her realtor was like, oh, you should take out all the furniture. And she said, no, but someone's going to really need this place with furniture. And it turned out there was a there was a family that really needed that place, and it was the perfect place for them. And so we often, we don't need to go changing, rearranging, fixing to get someone to like our house. It's by saying, here's what this house is, and here's what this house isn't. And there's something, too, I'm sure you've experienced it on your healing journey. When people are in close proximity to you, your healing journey, and I think this is generational as well and really showed for me and my dad because he he spent a good amount of time with me in the cabin. It was mostly me by myself during the days and the weekends, but after he got off work, we would you know cook together, just talk and hang out. but he he just saw what I was doing and people people actually learn by example. They want to see someone embodying it rather than, being told what to do or what not to do and smothered with shame or guilt, they get to delight in your own growth and it also helps their own growth. So for me, that was really healing just to even get to spend all that time with my dad and to look at myself and what I was doing to maybe attract that kind of attention from guys. And now I find I have so many guy friendships and I feel like men really like having guidance of like, how can I be useful? Instead of like me being the one of like, how can I be useful? It's actually might work better the other way around. Women are good at visionary at saying, oh, I would love to see something like this. And when a guy feels that drive or purpose to to make it happen, they can help bring it to life. So there's this beautiful partnership that can happen. And that's been something I've been leaning into more of like things I want to create. I want to help women so much so that they can have these beautiful relationships with men and so that men can benefit from from this as well. I think it starts with with women. 
but I cannot deny how much men have helped me on my journey and vice versa. So yeah, I'm very much too in my own body, more non-binary than than anything else I would I would choose to define me. And I think too, in that sense, I have like what might be called an androgynous mind. You know, I went to engineering school. I'm also an artist. So being able to bring these elements of masculine, feminine, and together to create to create wholeness and healing. So yeah. How has that changed for you? I felt like a, a huge loss in identity when I had to question like what am I attracted to? What did I think was important in a relationship? And at the end of the day, I didn't think that I was attracted to the man that I thought I was. It was like this idea of a man that was delivered to me. And I just had to follow that as like, this is the best man to go for. And you as a good woman is educating him, fixing him, showing him the way, how to treat women better and all of this kind of stuff. And realizing like, you're not the teacher. And that's what I thought was a lack or just a misunderstanding in feminism. Like, I, I felt like I was being a bad feminist at this time because I wasn't getting the results. I was pushing in this weird way to now be in an idea where I don't really understand gender anymore. So when you lose the grip on the the labeling, I think you can finally get to a, a more common understanding. So has your community been supportive of that? Because at least in my space, it wasn't very supportive. It was kind of like, choose a side. You have to adhere to these labels. Also, like, what are you attracted to? Like, everyone wanted answers to things when it's like, actually, why does this matter to you? Because this is my life and my body and how I identify. And maybe it's unknown because I I haven't explored that yet. And sometimes I, I experience a lot of resistance from other people that have decided and maybe they need to question, you know, how they want to identify too. Yeah, it's it's definitely complicated and evolving. I feel like any binary is harmful. If you want to say something's good or bad or right or wrong, it's harmful because there's something bigger than than the binaries and you know, I like looking at things like fungi that really make us question, like even like, you know, what is, what is plant? What is like, you know, animal, <laughs> like they're kind of like in that liminal space. And so to be in that liminal space and not be defined, again, I always come to this word courage because people want to have things in a box, nice, nicely packaged because they think if they know this about you, that it'll help them know you better, but it doesn't. It limits their abilities to know you. So for me, it's being able to be in that unknown space and invite others into it. And with that, it means like kind of speaking courageously of like, yeah, you you might not be able to define me. This might not make any sense to you and that's okay. And Like, what does it mean for it to make sense? You know, what would it mean for me to be fully accepted into this world as non-binary? Like, I don't know what that would fully mean or look like. I often find myself rebelling if I feel like someone's kind of putting me in a more feminine role. I'm like, I try to fight it and I catch myself doing that. And so I'm like, hmm, what part of me needs to be seen in the fighting? 
of that, of maybe it's my own ideas of femininity being weak or there's a lot of lot of healing and answers still to be discovered. I love that. I think it's easy to say yes or no to an existing thing or concept, and that's why it helps us to have these labels. But while you were living in the cabin in the woods and there was nobody, it didn't matter, did you realize anything about yourself that you're like, oh my God, I don't care about blue eyeshadow? Like there were these things that you just didn't care about where you thought actually was everything in the world to you. Now that there's no one watching you or seeing you and validating these efforts, was there anything that kind of crumbled for you in terms of your identity and how you define yourself? I mean, all my belongings are in a storage unit. So my obsession with decorating, all of that was gone. And I realized, oh, I was just trying to control an environment. And also, too, I gave the cabin, like the woods, like a year to just show me itself. I didn't go in trying to change or garden or alter it in any way so it was like really symbolic of like not being able to decorate the home and then what that opens up that deeper relationship of wanting to express myself in different ways movement dance like my mind became really more into like philosophy and reading and writing, it was where I really began writing more. And also my obsession with cooking. I love cooking. It's like one of my favorite art forms, but I began loosening my hold on that too, where I would always like finish work and then, okay, now I have to cook. It's kind of, you know, I think Virginia Woolf kind of talks about this in a in a room of one's own, like using the identity right now as, as woman to define what my experience has been. You know, we haven't had a room of our own to just create. It's been about, you know, I often find someone saying, oh, my mom's a great artist, but she she cleans all the time. It's like, yeah, that's our distraction. We distract ourselves and we're becoming able to do more than distract ourselves, I think. And what can open up is our own abilities to create, to manifest, Instead of seeing ourselves as like obsessive about environment, control. Like when I even first getting Seba, I left her in my room to go see a, a play and I was so nervous. And then I was like, wait, why am I putting all this nervous energy on this situation? What if I just, you know, it's kind of like the cat in the box or whatever. You don't know what you're going to find until you open it. And so I said, oh, she's going to be totally fine. And I started removing that anxious energy of like the very much the mother archetype and I got home and she was perfect nothing was out of place and and so I'm more and more leaning into this feeling of what can we create when we don't feel like we need to be doing all these chores and put it spending all this time putting on makeup and you know spending all the money for things to look a certain way we don't really need to do that. Actually, in most species, especially birds, the male birds are the ones dancing and dressed up to get the woman's, the female bird's attention. So that to me kind of also flipped. I'm like, what are women doing? Like spending all this time doing that. I'm like, we are brilliant, smart, capable. Actually, I think women are better with money too and having their own businesses. So 
for me, I began realizing more possibilities for myself. And something too that that really came up for me was this sense of like not abandoning myself. I always felt like I had to be a certain way so that I wouldn't get abandoned by people, by community, friends, guys, whatever. And as soon as just being in the cabin in the woods, I began realizing that most of my fears were about abandonment. Like I, for instance, didn't get this art grant in New York that I wanted. And I was paying attention to how I was feeling leading up to it. How I was like, oh, this is super aligned. I would be so grateful to get this. And then when I didn't get it, I was like, oh, there was a part of me that was scared I wasn't going to get it. What was it actually scared of? It was scared of me abandoning myself for not getting it, for creating a story of I'm not good enough, creating a story of, you know, I'm not talented enough or whatever. It's like, I know how I lived for a year. Like, I am an artist, just living that way. So I don't need that validation and that sense like, yeah, money would be great too, I'm not going to abandon myself when someone says that they don't like what I am or they don't want to work with me, whatever. It's, it, it became about me validating myself and not abandoning myself. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's when you realize like you actually are already embodying the lifestyle that you want. So why does it matter if you get these material mm-hmm. validations or external forces that say yes to that when you're already doing it and then you reject it and then you're just like, why do I feel so bad? It mm. just actually makes no sense. I want to wrap up here. And since this podcast or the series is about learning how to live, what's one lesson about life that you've learned since your visit to Oaxaca? So my lesson that I received here was say yes, especially when you don't think you're ready. I said yes to Seba and I was like, what is going on? And all the right pieces, people came in and helped. And like, no, things aren't perfectly easy, but they're actually like even better than they were. And so it's just being able to say yes when you might not think you're ready, just try it. And what would you say to someone that's like, that's easier said than done? Like, how do you say yes? Mm. You say yes, and then you you cradle that part of you that's really scared too. You don't you don't say that you don't belong here because that fear part's real. You plant your feet on the ground and you say, I'm going to be okay. Thank you, Kelly. Just say yes. I love that. I hope this episode inspires you to make that active choice for yourself. You also deserve to feel like you belong to where you feel like you belong. Thanks for listening and make sure to subscribe and I'll see you next Wednesday with another episode on the Miss Amanda Chen Show podcast. Until then, adios.